And uh, so we're thrilled to be able to bring this series to you about God's provision. God revealed himself to Abraham on Mount Moriah as, you've heard it, Jehovah Jireh. It's technically Yahweh Yiri, which is the Lord who sees and provides. Say that with me, the Lord who sees and provides. The title of the message this morning is called The Abrahamic Covenant and the Gospel. The Abrahamic Covenant and the Gospel. The text is found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Find one of the screens where you can easily observe, and I want everyone to read out loud with me, please, as we read Galatians 3.29 from the New Living Translation. Here we go. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This, in the King James says, and if ye be Christ's, C-R-H-C-H-R-I-S-T apostrophe S. In other words, it's a possessive. If you belong to Christ, this is one reason why I love some of the newer translations because they explain what sometimes the King James just assumes uh, from 300, 400 years ago. So now that we belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promises or his promise to Abraham belongs to you. Everybody say, that's me. Okay, now that's if you belong to Christ. If Christ lives in your heart and you're in him, you're part of the family, then now the promises that God made to Abraham are yours. This morning I'm going to show you that the Abrahamic covenant is actually a foreshadowing of the New Testament gospel. 2,500 years God plays a movie trailer for Abram and he says this is what's coming. And the seed of Abraham is going to be wrapped up in one man, actually one God-man. His name is Jesus Christ. And it's through him that all the families or all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You belong to Christ. You're the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. One thing this morning that I want to bring to you as we open the word, God provided covenantal promises in the gospel that are realized when I walk away from my old life and when I walk in faith toward my new life. Find a screen, read this out loud with me, please. Here we go. God provided covenantal promises in the gospel that are realized when I walk away from my old life and I walk in faith toward my new life. When you read the Bible, both old and new covenants are going to affirm a dual concept that are two sides of the same coin. Everybody say, repent and believe. Say, repent and believe. To repent, the, the, the Greek word metanoia, metanoiaema, literally means change. Meta is change. Noia, noiema is to change the mind, okay? And so when I change my thinking about something, eventually, ultimately, I will change my behavior, which changes my direction, So when I repent, I'm turning. The simple word is turn. When I teach this in our Purple Book class, I draw a symbol, universal symbol, that's seen on the highway in terms of a U-turn. It's an arrow that turns right around and goes back the other way. If you can't do a U-turn in a certain area of the city, then it'll have a slash through it, a circle and a slash through it, which basically means no U-turn. But the password in the kingdom of God is repentance, turn, Turn to the Lord. Now, when I repent and I believe, those are two sides of the same coin. They are two actions that are together in one. Because when I turn to the Lord, that's the positive focus. 
I believe in faith toward God, I'm automatically turning from something. That's my past. I turn to God in faith, and when I turn to God, I'm turning away from my life of sin, my former way of thinking. Are you guys seeing this? So I want you to see this morning that when I'm saying when I walk away from my old life and walk in faith toward my new life, that we're saying those two things are the same. I repent and I believe. One side, other side, two sides of the same Today coin. as we jump okay. in, we're looking at, I'm going to have two big points. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on these instead of doing a normal three-point message, but just two big points. And the first one is the call and the response of Abraham. God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We're actually introduced to him, Abram, in the very end of chapter 11, the last few verses where we find uh, Abraham's father. We learn of a guy named Terah and Nahor, and God has spoken to that generation of leaders and basically said, I want to get you into the land of Canaan that I'm going to give you. And the whole family got up and began to move, but they stopped at Haran, H-A-R-A-N, and they settled down there and got happy and got comfortable. They never did really fulfill and finish the call that God have had for them. And so in the opening of chapter 12, God has basically said, Look, I love you guys and I bless you, but I've got a mission. And since you're not going to do it, I'm going to tap the shoulder of the next generation. Now, there's a message in that for every one of us in the room. God wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. Jesus has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But you can, you can lay down on the promises of God and not walk in them. And God says, guess what? I'll, I'll tap your kids on their shoulder and see if they'll listen to me and go in and possess the land of promise in their lives. Terah didn't do it, Nahor didn't do it, but Abraham got up or Abram got up and left and Nahor's son, Lot, went with him. Okay, and so here comes these, it was uh, Abram's nephew. So I may have gotten those names mixed up in terms of how Nahor was related to him. And so um, they head out and the Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, the Lord had said to Abram, leave. Everybody say leave. Notice this. Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I want you to pay attention to these verbs and who is speaking. God is talking and he says, I will, next verse, I will make you. Everybody say, I will make you. And what is he going to make him into? One man is going to become a great nation. Second line, he says, I will what? I will bless you. So these are the promises that God himself is making to Abram. He says, I will bless you and I will what? Make you famous. So King James says, I will make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. That means you're going to be known with a wide spectrum of influence. Now let me just tell you, this has already been fulfilled over and over and over and over and over multiple times because Abraham is looked at by three major world religions as being the father of their faith. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And I, I, I want you to see there that we've got a picture and a depiction of the fulfillment of the promises of God that were made to Abraham. He was, he was blessed. 
He was a man who at 75 years old had never had a son yet, but God made him into a great nation that literally gave him a great name and made him famous. And he says, and you will be a what? A blessing to others. So he is blessed with a purpose. He's not only blessed, but he will be a blessing. How many of you know that's not the same thing? There are a lot of folks that are blessed, but they're stingy. They're not willing to share their blessing with others and be a blessing to somebody else. It's one thing to be blessed by God because his favor is on your labor. You work hard and trust him and you don't quit and God blesses the fruit of your labor and he puts favor on it. It's something else to trust him and develop a generous spirit. This is why as believers, we are called to walk according to God's example because God is a giver. The first law of love is giving for God so loved that he what? Gave. God's love makes him a giver. He gave his only begotten son for us. And so if we are made in his image, then God wants us to be givers. We need to give our time and our talent and share our treasure. That's why I'm not ashamed to challenge you to get on a serve team and give your time. It, it amazes me sometimes how folk get all burnt out and they, the, the, the very thing that's giving them life, that's refreshing them is the thing they pull back from. They, they, they stupidly overcommit their children into 14 activities a week and they're, they're meeting husband and wife like two ships in the night. Now, I'm not throwing stones at you. Let me tell you what Dawn and I did years ago. We literally would talk, be talking on our cell phones as we were in different parts around I-240, taking Drew to practice for his traveling baseball team, taking Abby to violin lessons, and then taking her to a group lesson later in the week. And Dawn and I would be on the phone, and I would take Abby to the private lesson, and then Dawn would take her to the group lesson, and I would take Drew to practice one day, and then Dawn would flip with me, and we would have both have time with our children. And then she decided she was going to get Drew another activity and get Abby another activity. And she threw gymnastics in there with Abby, and she threw something else in there with Drew. And I had to put my foot down and say, Baby, honey, I love you, but this is going to stop. Overcommitting your children is not what makes you raise champions. You wear yourselves out and you're busting it because of the deadlines that you're working. You're committed to a little serve team once a month at church and the first thing that goes is you call and say, I can't do it anymore, I'm tired. You know why you're tired? It's because all the stuff you're doing all week long. It ain't that one little hour on Sunday morning that's wearing you out. I know I'm preaching good and I'm stepping all over toes. This is, this is where you can get refreshed, you can get blessed. And guess what? You give a little bit of your time and a little bit of your talent. And when you do that, God multiplies it back to you. The last thing you need to do is cut off the blessing flow in your life. But folk get tired and get burnt out, and the first thing they do is they quit what they're doing on Sunday morning. And once a month commitment is, oh, help me, Jesus. i, I got to preach twice today. This is my second time. Well, that's your job. I had a men's breakfast yesterday morning at 8.30, got up here by 7.30, turned around, went back home after that thing was over with, changed clothes and preached a funeral Saturday afternoon. Our, our lovely, wonderful Jean Brown went to be home with the Lord. Sweet, precious African-American lady. She would kiss me on the cheek and I would say, Miss Geraldine, I love you. And she'd say, no, I love you more. 
If you know Geraldine, you know who I'm talking about. Sweet, sweet, sweet woman of God. I had the privilege of going to the hospital and serving her communion and praying and singing. Presence of the Lord filled the room and we were gearing up to, to fight a battle. She'd found out that she'd had a certain kind of cancer. And I said, let's pray for strength and let's trust God. And man, she was ready. She was talking faith. And it was just a few days later that she took a turn. And I just believe it was her time. It was the hand of the Lord that was merciful to her. She was not way old in terms of years. She was 75. And some of you go, well, that's old. Well, yeah, you hadn't lived long enough to know that's that's not old. I've got folk in my family that, that, that have seen a hundred, and I'm going to tell you, I, I'm trusting God for a hundred myself. So, Where was I? Oh, I know what I was going to say. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Those of you who think preachers don't work, you ain't got a clue. Because yesterday, after those two big days, I went home and collapsed, and you would have thought I was paralyzed. I, I sat down in my den... I've got three dogs, and one of them's 110 pounds, and he lays on me. You, th- you think you need a gravity blanket? Let me just loan you Odie for an evening. <laughs> I woke up three hours later with a burst of energy, and I said, oh, praise God, we can do this. Hallelujah. I've got to preach twice tomorrow, and I've got foundations class Sunday night. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to crash Monday. Monday's going to be my day off. I'm going to crash because after all of this adrenaline, all this excitement, all this energy, I just said this. I just want to humbly ask you. I lost an acquaintance. I can't really call him a friend because I met him one time. He used to be on the staff at High Point. He went to Nashville. He's written several books. He was the pastor of a church in California called Harvest Church. Beautiful family, two little boys, Jared Wilson. Battle depression, he talked about it, he tweeted about it, he Instagrammed about it, he wrote about it, he tried to help people to see that just because you call on Jesus and become a Christian doesn't mean you don't still have battles to fight. And he lost his battle to depression this week and took his own life. And it rocked me. It rocked me Thursday because of what my own family has walked through and what we faced. And I just want to humbly ask you, I've... I was, I was emphasizing and I was talking over the top a little bit bodaciously just to be humorous. But this is my heart now. I humbly ask you to pray for me and pray for pastors because we carry a level of weight that people don't really honestly have any idea about. And when we start to do what we did yesterday by bringing in the men from Dominion and we're, we're starting to build relationships between white and blacks, African Americans and predominantly white churches and we say we're going to take steps and we're going to pull down this spirit of racism and prejudice that's over the Delta. Listen, listen to me. It stirs up devils and it makes the devil angry and he attacks me and he attacks my family and he attacks my health and he attacks my own mind and just wrestling through sometimes and going, God, are, are we even making any change or is it even worth it? Because that's how the enemy attacks. And so I just want to just ask you, I'm, I feel great. I'm strong. I'm not depressed in any kind of way. But it's crazy how when you start to make advances, how the enemy will come and we fight battles that nobody else knows anything about. And it breaks my heart that a beautiful pastor, his sweet wife and his little boys are going to grow up without a daddy. And I just want to ask you, please, 
It's so easy to criticize something you don't understand. It's so easy to, to become a commentator of a life you've never lived and, and just be a Monday morning quarterback and, well, they ought to have done this and they shouldn't have done that. And you know what? Please, we're open. We want to grow and we, 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 can, we can be corrected. But don't waste your time just being critical. Put your energy into praying for me and praying for our team and praying for Pastor Haley, praying for Pastor Jeremy because they're very real battles that we face. Now, pause for station identification. That was the free message. This was the public service announcement for preachers. Oh, help me, Lord. He says, I will make you, I will bless you. You will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. I love that. I don't have to waste time going, oh, God, I want you to break the teeth of my enemies. Bust them in the mouth, Lord. Now, I'll confess to you, sometimes I want to pray that. I'm just human like you are. But I just say, Lord, I just ask you to let them change, let them repent, let them turn back to you. And you know what? If they don't, if they rebel and they continue to mistreat, how many of you know the Lord knows how to deal with folk? He can handle it. I don't have to fight my battles. He can fight my battles for me. Somebody say amen. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Let me just say this to you. If you're the seed of Abraham and you know it, you don't have to keep putting up with that mess at work where folk are trying to run roughshod over you. You just begin to pray and say, God, I'm not going to fight these battles and I'm not going to put my mouth into gear. I'm just asking you that you start moving behind the scenes. And it's amazing how God will shift folk. He may make a lateral move and move a supervisor out of the way and send them down to Tampa, Florida so that you can be promoted and get into that place because you're going to treat people the right way. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot with him, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, the nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. Now, I want you to see and pay particular attention to the very first word that God said to Abraham. Go back to verse 1, and I want you to put that up for me. What's the first word God said to Abraham? The Lord said to Abraham what? Leave. Everybody say leave. You can't keep living in your past if you're going to become what God has called you to in your future. There's something for you to leave. You can't keep doing the stuff and the habits and, and living in the mud pit and down in the hole of sin and destructive patterns of behavior and become the champion and the man of God and the woman of God who's a conqueror, getting your life in order and getting blessing moving and working through your life. You can't keep doing the old stuff. You've got to turn away from the old life and walk in faith toward the new life. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit this morning. Leave! There were seven separations that Abraham had to go through. And God doesn't hit you with all of this at once. God will take you as you grow from one stage to the next, just like you bring a baby home after being birthed at the hospital and they're on formula. And in a few weeks, maybe in a few months, you might add a little bit of cereal to that so that that baby sleeps all night and you can get some rest. Glory to God. Maybe even slip him a little Benadryl once in a while. 
I'm just kidding. Sometimes parents get to a place of desperation. <laughs> I'm so excited because they've moved Holly's due date up another week. And so Henry, baby Henry's going to be born this Wednesday. So it's on the 18th. And Drew and I were on the phone and he said, I'm so excited. I said, Drew, I am too. I said, son, your life is going to change. He said, he, he didn't, he, did, he just said, he said, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> I said, you just hide and watch. <laughs> I said, I said, you can just kiss sleep goodbye for about the next three years. <laughs> so I, I said, no, 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 it's going to be wonderful. But this is why you have your babies in your 20s and your 30s. <laughs> so Abraham had to get up and leave his country. It was all the familiar places where he'd grown up and it was the old haunts. It was the folk who knew him how he was. And when God starts to call you to something new, you can't keep hanging around folk who try to keep you who you used to be. He said, leave your country and leave your father's house and your relatives, your kindred, the folk that are kin to you sometime are the folk that hold you down the most. Because they just know who you are, your old knuckleheaded self. And, and, and you start talking about having faith in God and being transformed and believing God to go to school and get a degree or being, believing God to open a business and it be successful, believing God to have a marriage and raise some champions. And, and, and folk remind you, go, well, let me remind you of who you are. This is what your grandparents were and what your mom and dad were and you won't ever be any more than... You can't sit around and listen to folk who tell you you won't ever be any more than... Leave! If you're going to inherit a new piece of property, you can't keep dwelling on the old one. You've got to get up and move toward the new. You've got to walk by faith into your new life. Come on, somebody. I wish I had time because it's a message all in itself. Abraham separated from his country and from his kindred and from Egypt. Egypt is the ways of the world. It's, it's how everybody else does life. It's it's ingenious kinds of ways of refinancing and finagling this and manipulating that and intimidating this person here or there. The ways of Egypt are not the ways of God. Abraham had to leave Egypt. He finally had to separate from Lot because there was contention between Lot's shepherds and Abraham's shepherds. And because God had blessed Abraham so much, he was able to say to Lot, Look, as far as your eye can see, you just pick the direction you want to go and I'll go the other way. Because God's blessings on my life. And wherever I go, that blessing goes with me. And Lot picked the, the verdant, green, well-watered valley of the Jordan. But Lot ended up down there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And here comes trouble. Abraham said, that's fine. It looks great from the outside. Go ahead and you make your pick. Because wherever I go, God's going to bless me. How many of you know you can know that? Because the blessing of God's on your life. You can be generous. You don't have to live in scarcity. You don't have to live thinking there's only so much pie and we can't cut this pie up in small enough pieces because we serve a God who's not limited to your small pie thinking. He's a God of abundance. Come on, somebody. Abraham left his country and his kindred in Egypt and he left Lot. And in Genesis 14, he laid down a desire to get wealth when God commanded him to tithe to Melchizedek. This is why we encourage you. Not because we're trying to raise budget or... Or, or pay huge salaries or anything like that. We just teach you how to 
put God first, to honor him with the first fruits of your increase, to be generous because what tithing does is it demands that you get a budget and you start living within your means. And when you start putting God first, God starts blessing the 90% when you give him the first 10%. And guess what it does? It deals with the spirit of greed. It deals with the spirit of materialism. God's not going to give you unlimited resources when you have greed toward what you have and you're trying to hoard it and you won't be generous with it. When you can be generous with it, see the scripture, people misquote it all the time. They say, you know, money's the root of all evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 does not say money's the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. How many of you know you don't have to have any of it to love it? You can be poor as Job's turkey, as the, my granddaddy used to say, and you can be lusting and coveting after your next-door neighbor's boat and his three-car garage or his wife or whatever else. The Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet. And until we can learn to be generous out of what we have and learn to be able to bless. I took a load to the mission the other day. Abby was going to throw away a bunch of prom dresses and stuff from high school. And, and, and a dress from these different weddings that she's been in and, and hundreds of dollars on every one of these so she could be in this prom and go to this dance and do this and cute, beautiful dresses. Listen to me, big grown man up here talking about cute. What are you talking about? But they're good-looking clothes and I worked hard and paid for that stuff and I said, no, you're not going to put those in a black plastic, black plastic bag and throw them in the trash. We're going to take them to the mission because there's, there's, there's some girl out there that has a family that can't afford what I was able to buy you and we're going to go give it and let them hang it on the rack at the mission and they can get that $400 dress for $10 and they can go dress up and they can feel special at their prom I took stuff out of the closet that had tags on it the other day and went and just blessed I just, I just want to be generous because I always don't want to start to get a hoarding spirit because listen the scripture says in the book of Proverbs that there is that that tendeth to increase When we give and when we share, when we have a generous spirit, there is that that withholdeth, but that becomes little. It becomes nothing. When I'm hoarding, when I'm stingy, God's going to dry it up. When I learn to become a conduit and let it flow through me and I'm generous to people with my time, with my talent, with my treasure, then God says your generosity is going to be multiplied back to you in great blessing on your life. Somebody say amen. He finally had to separate from Ishmael. That's another whole message in itself. Ishmael is the product of not waiting on the promise of God to come in God's timing, but trying to do it in your own strength. You know the story about Ishmael. And then finally, God called him to separate from Isaac himself, the very promise himself. We preached it last Sunday. Take your son, your only son, and go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Because God wants to see, do you love the God of the promise more than you love the promise of God? And there had to be a line of separation. If I'm going to grow into something new, I can't keep hanging out doing all the old. I'm going to have to separate. I'm going to have, look at your neighbor and say, leave. Hallelujah. The covenantal promises are, I will bless, I will make, you will be. I will bless. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. The word bless means empowered to prosper. Say that with me. Empowered to prosper. When God blesses you, it is for a purpose. It's not just for you to be blessed. 
but it's for you to learn to become a conduit of blessing to others around you. God has blessed me with truth of the kingdom of God. I am being a blessing to you by generously sharing it with you this morning so you can learn to take the promises of God and believe them. Because it's when you believe them and in one action turn away from an old way of life and step by faith into a new way of life, those promises of God are activated in your life. When you believe God, it's counted to you for righteousness. Point number two. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Point number two is I need to hear it again. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, God grabbed Abraham or Abram still at this point. His name doesn't get changed to Abraham until Genesis 17. In Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, in Genesis 17, three different times God recites and rehearses the promises of the covenant to this guy who is an Iraqi. He's not Jewish. He lives in Ur of the Chaldees. The word Jew, it does not even appear for another thousand years. The lineage of Abraham then becomes Eber or Hebrew. Judah, Jew comes from Judah. And so that whole concept of identity is not going to come for a millennium later. So this is an ordinary dude. He's in a pagan nation worshiping the moon. He's, a, he's worshiping false gods, pagan gods. And God goes after him and taps him on the shoulder. And he says, Abram, if you will do what I've asked you to do and obey me, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. By the way, I'll bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. Some God shows up in your life and you know he has the power to fulfill and deliver the promises he's making. That's pretty radical. It wasn't because Abraham was special because Abraham wasn't the golden Jew. He was, he was an Iraqi. But yet his believing God changed his whole life and changed his family after him. Some of you have been raised in families and your history's not good. Your grandfather was... You can fill in the blank. And your father followed in his footsteps and had the same problems. That same thing does not have to continue in your line. It can break. That curse can break in your life. You do not have to be an abuser. You do not have to be a drug addict. You do not have to be an alcoholic. You do not have to be a failure. God can put you over and make you the head and not the tail. He can put you above and not beneath. He'll make you a success and not a failure. Come on, somebody. Help me a little bit this morning. You have a choice. God makes a promise and you have a choice. Are you going to believe it? Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. Sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. I will protect you and your reward will be great. Basically, Abram basically says, Oh, sovereign Lord, I don't have an heir. You know, you've not given me a son. You promised me that I would be the father of many nations, but I, ain't nothing happened yet. Ain't nothing showed up. Now, I've got a servant, Eliezer of Damascus. I guess when I die, he will inherit all I've got because I've been able to accumulate a couple of bucks. I got a little bit of wealth. And the Lord interrupted Abram and he says, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And look at verses 5 and 6. I want to finish this this morning. Look at this. Then the Lord took, 
took Abram outside and said to him, say the words, come on, look up, look up into the sky and what? Count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Every time God meets with Abram, he rehearses his promises and he challenges him with a, with a vision, with a mental picture and he stretches him and he says, in 13, he says, look at the dust of the earth. Can you count those little specks of dust? No. He says, well, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Genesis 22, he says, again in another place, look at the stars. And he says, look at the sand of the seashore. Can you count those grains of sand? No, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Right here in 15, God is rehearsing. Every time he talks to him, he stretches him. He gives him a mental picture. He gives him a vision. God called him to leave the old so he could embrace the new. And let me tell you why you've got to leave the old. You've got to get a picture. A man who does not have a vision for his future will always return to his past. That's why you've got to get up and leave it. You've got to cut it off. You've got to separate from it. You've got to turn from it. You've got to turn in faith toward the Lord. You've got to turn from that habit, from that addiction, that lifestyle, that pursuit. And you've got to turn to the Lord and say, God, I'm not going to look for any more illegitimate means. I want you to touch my life and transform me and bless me. He says, look up, Abram. You see all those stars, those constellations? Count them. You can't count them. They're innumerable. They're more than you can count. He says, I'm telling you, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Now, it took generations. It rolled into centuries. Centuries turned into millennium. But this promise that God made to Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham, became true. And what I'm wanting you to see this morning is that God is faithful. You can rest in the promises of God. Verse 6 is what is key, and I'm bringing this message down to a close this morning. Read it with me, everybody out loud. Here we go. And Abram, what? Believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous. Why? Because of his faith. Your life can be changed with one simple choice. You walked in here one way this morning, and you can walk out this door another way because you choose to believe the promises of God. Maybe you've never crossed the line of faith and you don't yet, notice the word yet, you don't yet belong to Christ. You've never crossed the line of faith and said, Jesus, save me, I trust you, I I lean into you. Now when we talk about this word believe, it's not just mentally ascending to a fact. Folks say, I I believe George Washington was the first president of the United States of America. I believe that Abraham Lincoln released the slaves with the Emancipation Proclamation. That's a fact. That's U.S. history. But I'm not trusting Abraham Lincoln or George Washington to do anything for me right now. You can't look at Jesus like any other historical figure and say, well, I, I believe that he was here. No, you have to rely upon, adhere to, trust into his promise. God, I believe that what you promised Abraham is mine. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I thank you that you can transform my life. You can get all down into all the nasty, dysfunctional junk in my life. And you can take the mess that's in me and you can make it a message of redemption and a message of hope. And you can transform and you can change. 
the thing that I'm struggling with, God. You can give me victory over it. You can make me a testimony, oh God, that I have walked through the test and you've changed it into a testimony of life and a testimony of wholeness, a testimony of healing, a testimony of reconciliation. Somebody's marriage is on the rocks. Your hope, your only hope is in Jesus. For both of you, husband and wife, to move toward the Lord because the closer you get to Him, the closer you're going to get to each other. You can, you can fall in love all over again. You can have a better marriage you've ever had in your whole life if you'll just put Jesus in the right place in your home. Don't shout me down this morning. You know I'm telling you the truth. Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. Look at your neighbor and say, look up. See, this is, this is faith. Faith does not leave you down in the problem in the mully grubs in the valley. Faith says, come on, get up. I'm going to take you up and I'm going to show you. Look up and I want you to count. I'm stretching your faith. I'm giving you a vision. I'm showing you your future. Because if you don't get a clear glimpse of your future, you're going to go right back to your past. And I want you to turn from that in one swoop. I want you to repent, turn from that, and I want you to believe. Believe in me, begin to walk by faith toward a new life, toward hope, toward joy, toward peace, toward righteousness. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. I've got an extended passage from Galatians 3 written out here, but I'm not going to take time to read it. There's one verse I want you to hear. Galatians 3 says, In the same way Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Paul is quoting what we just read in Genesis 15, 6. He says, The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news. Everybody say the gospel. God proclaimed the gospel, the good news to Abraham long ago when he said all nations will be blessed through you. That came down through the singular seed of Christ who every family in the earth has and is being blessed by. That one seed in Jesus. I think rather than giving an extended call for a fresh start, I'm just going to let the scriptures say what they say. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Abraham got a preview of the movie 2,500 years before it played. He heard the gospel promises. And because he believed the gospel, the Bible says because of his faith, God counted him as righteous. Righteous means you're in a right relationship. You've been reconciled. You've been restored. There's not enmity between us. God's not on the war path after you. You're not, you're not a foe of God. You're not an enemy of God any longer. This is what he says. He says, so all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under the curse. Some of you do some good things, but none of us do enough good to make up for the evil, the wrong, the sin, the, what's in our own hearts. Not always action. Sometimes it's just attitude. That's where the actions come from. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under the curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. You can keep one, but if you've broken any one, it means the scripture says that you're guilty of having broken the whole law of God. He says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. 
Look at your neighbor and say, ain't nobody good enough. Come on. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. By faith. By faith. By faith. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Last verse and I'm finished. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. My sin, my curse, Jesus hung on the cross. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took my sin and the penalty for it, and he died, and it was buried in the grave. And he got up on the third day, and he left my sin and the penalty for it in the grave. And he got up victorious over death. He conquered the curse. He conquered my sin. He conquered the demand of the law. He did that for you. He took your place. He took my place. You can't work it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it because he's trying to give it to you as a gift. And all he's asking for is just believe me. Do you believe me? Come on. Our heavenly father is, 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 is like the, the, the eager dad standing in the new swimming pool and the two-year-old son is on the side of the pool and, and dad is going, come on, son. Believe me, I'm going to catch you. Jump to me, son. Come on, son. Come on. Do you trust Papa? Come on, come on. And, and, and you're there and you're going, oh, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know if I should, I don't know if I should jump. I don't know if I should put my faith in Jesus and, and trust him for what this this loud, spitting, crazy preacher is saying this morning. And the father is in the pool of blessing. And he's saying, come on, come on, jump to me. Come on, come on, I'm going to catch you. And he's saying, come on, jump, jump. And as soon as you do, as soon as you leave, as soon as you leave the edge of that pool, the father's already stepping towards you and he's got his arms up underneath you. That's what it means that you believe God's promises. You can stand on the side and believe Father's good. But until you jump into his arms, you've not actually had faith to believe. So this morning I'm asking you, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God's blessed you to be a blessing. He's pouring his blessing out upon you as a people, as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a business owner, as a dreamer, as a student in school. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, we sang it this morning. He will kick down walls. He will tear down lies. All of it just to get to you. This morning, I just want to ask you this question. If you would, would you bow your hearts with me, please? Close your eyes. Nobody looking around. 